Resolution to Transformation. Again, we've chosen this title for the series very carefully because we do believe uh, there's nothing wrong with resolutions in and of itself, but we need to be reminded that God, according to his word, wants to do a deeper work in us, and the better word for that would be transformation. We find it throughout scripture. So if you have a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. So far, we've found through this series that God's word is key to our transformation. But it's not just God's word. There is this whole idea of prayer. And what does prayer mean when it comes into the life of a believer? What is its role when it comes to the transformation that God wants to see in our lives? If we'll look here on the screen, this was last week's introduction to, the, uh, the, to this whole idea of being engaged in prayer. For transformation, for transformation to take place in the life of a believer, God's word and prayer are imperative. Prayer invites the opportunity to turn the insights of God's word into a life-changing discussion. Now, I think many of us would probably say, well, you know, in my prayer life, I don't necessarily have a discussion. I don't necessarily talk with God. I've never heard God's voice. But really, when you think about it, it is that form in which God chooses, chooses to speak into our lives. Now, many times for me, the way he speaks to me is through his word. So maybe there's this time in my life where... <laughs> Maybe I'm looking for direction or something in my life as it relates to an answer that I'm looking for. It could be that I just go before God in prayer and I open my heart to his and, and basically say, God, I need you to speak to my heart. I, I will tell you that many times and, and most of the, well, all the time, I've never heard his voice audibly, but I do have those times where I, I sense he prompts me in a direction, a certain direction. Not only that, many times the answers to, to, to many of my prayers come from other people. Sometimes it's something I'm seeking and someone just has a, a fresh word for me. And wow, I'm, I'm like, man, God spoke to me. He answered my prayer. Sometimes it's, and many times it is through his word. Now, the idea of prayer, however, is something that I think God wants to do in a deeper way. But before we look into that, what is prayer? Well, here's the way I think it. This is what I, the way I see it. It is opening your heart up to God, speaking to him and listening to him. It is interacting with God and letting him work in your heart. It is a work of the heart. When you really think about it, prayer, its intention is a work of the heart. So look on your outline. We covered some of this last week. I want to review the first part and go into what we did not cover last week. The question is, why pray if God knows everything? I think many people would say, you know, uh, it's all planned out. It appears that God is sovereign. We're going to talk about this in just a moment. It appears that everything seems to be set. Why do I even need to pray? Why do I even say anything? It's going to happen the way it's going to happen, right? Well, not necessarily, and I'll show you that in just a moment. But first of all, we pray because really we've been commanded to pray. In Hebrews chapter 4, we find that there's an invitation to pray. Look here. Let us therefore come boldly. That word boldly means confidently. We come confidently to the, what? The throne of grace. We're talking about this idea of prayer. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, we have been invited to come before God. 
How do we come before God? Well, he kind of describes it here. It's through the means, I believe, of prayer. And we can be confident that when we do call on him in prayer, that he's listening. He's on the other side of that conversation. Now, again, why pray if God knows everything? Well, first of all, to praise him for who he is. If it's nothing more than to do that, to praise him. If you really think about what we've already done here this morning as it relates to the praise songs and the, the things that we've lifted up to him this morning, what we've done really, that is, that is a form of prayer. We've lifted our voices to him. We've, and hopefully it was more than your voice this morning. Hopefully you've lifted your heart to him to express your need, to express your gratitude, to express what he's done on your behalf. And that is our praise. I want you to think about when you read the, the, the great lessons of praise from the Psalms, David wrote two thirds of those Psalms. And he basically, what you find there is he, you almost really hear in a diary of his prayer life. You're hearing many times in those Psalms his, his prayer of confession, his prayer of repentance, his prayer of God restore to me what was once there. And then there's times where he's just praising God for who he is. And then there's other places where the other psalmists are, are just saying, let us enter in his gates, how? With praise, let us come before him with praise. We find that all through scripture. Now, let me tell you why praise is important. By acknowledging him for who he is, it takes, when you think about it, the pressure off of us when it comes to life and many times the calling that he's placed on our life. I'll tell you this as a pastor, one thing that, that when, when I first became a pastor, and, and, and it was one of those things, it's like when, when God placed me here to, to lead this church, I, I've got to tell you, that was a lot of pressure. It really was. I had no idea what the pressure felt like until it was kind of placed on me. And, and I, I hate to confess this, but I've got to be honest with you, I did a lot of those early years of my own strength. It was me trying to do this and trying to do that and fulfill the expectations I thought God had on me. And, and I didn't really understand at the time the total dependence that I needed to have on him to see it work the way he desired to see it work. And once I did that, once I started making that transition to, to not, not, I mean, I worked hard, I still work hard, but it's all this idea that it's really on him. I'm not responsible to you this morning on if you received the word or not. I'm just called to, to put it out there. That's what he's told me. That's what he's given to me. And it really takes the pressure off. I think a lot of times the reason we don't witness the way we need to witness and share with people the way we're called to share with people, we put too much pressure on ourselves. You see, we're just called to go out and, and, and be a witness. We're called to go out and make him known to the world. That's what the scripture tells us. The problem is we take too much of the responsibility of, of trying to determine and the pressure of how a person may respond. That's between them and God. We're just called to be obedient in that. And if we don't understand this whole idea of praise and who he is and what he's capable of doing and our total dependence is upon him when it comes to our praise to him, then we will probably totally miss what he has for us and the calling he's placed on our lives. Next, why I pray if God knows everything, to grow and become more intimate in our relationship with him. I can't tell you how many people that, that I've come across that, it's really, now to me, it, sometimes you can hear people pray and you hear if there's intimacy between them and the Lord many times. It's like, all you gotta do is hear them pray. And, and you, can, you can pick up on 
there's a little intimacy there. It, it's just like if, if, if I talk about my wife and I, I, you know, I talk about her in a generic term and I talk about her, yeah, she's the wife, yeah, yeah, she's, that's the one God gave me. She's laughing, right? Is she here? Anyway. No, that, that, that's no praise. That's no honor. There's no intimacy there. But if I'm like, man, you need to meet my wife. Let me tell you something. That girl, <clears throat> you know. <laughs> but, but again, it goes back to this idea of intimacy. Do we find intimacy when it comes to our prayer life? That's what God desires with us. Why pray if God knows everything? Well, to show our gratitude for all that God has done. Too often, I want you to think about this. This is, this is convicting. Too often, we want the blessings of God, but not God. We want his presence, but not his presence. You, you see what I'm talking about? We want the promises of God, but not necessarily the person of God. And that's a shame, isn't it? That we want what he has to offer. We want those things, but we don't necessarily feel like we need him. It's a big mistake. So what's the indicator that shows me that I only want things from God, but not God? Here's how it will translate. If you don't have gratitude for what he's done in your life, you're not wanting God himself. I mean, God even talks about it in, 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 in the scriptures where he talks about those or he did great things for them and they left and they thought about it no more. They didn't show their gratitude. Only a few came back and showed their gratitude. You know why they showed their gratitude? Because they sensed the intimacy that God wanted to have with them. The others went away thinking, well, thanks God, we appreciate it, we're out of here. How about this one? Why pray if God knows everything? To share our burdens with the God of the universe. To share our heart. God wants to hear our heart. Did you know that? He wants to hear our heart. How about our, I think many times God wants to hear our heart for others. Do we care about other people? Do we love others? Do, do we put it out there that we care? And then think about it. We're sharing with the God of the universe. I mean, when you think about it, there's not another faith or religion out there that even comes close to describing the intimacy that we can have with the creator than Christianity than what we read right here in the pages of God's word. Next, why pray if God knows everything to experience peace even in the midst of life's pressures? Pressures. You see, some of you are dealing with a life-changing crisis in your life. There's something in your, that you're dealing with that's bigger than you are. There's something that you're dealing with that, let's just face it, is constantly on your mind. It's there when you wake up in the morning. It's there when you go to bed. You, you, you may have prayed and lifted it up to him. Your heart's heavy about it. And, and all you feel is the pressure of what you're dealing with. Did you know that he can take those pressures and through the intimacy of prayer, exchange that pressure with peace? You say, well, how do you know that? Well, I, I've known, I know it personally. Right now, I'm dealing with something in my own life that I've just, I've just traded the pressures in and I've got his peace about it. And there's many of you that I've talked to over the years where, where that's the same testimony that you have. And the only reason it's there is because you've become intimate with God through prayer and his word. You know what he's capable of. of. And it can only come through a relationship with God in prayer. Why pray if God knows everything? Well, to see our lives from God's perspective and his desires for us. 
I mean, think about it. I think, how many of you have ever, how many of you have noticed that sometime your perspective is wrong and it's off? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever jumped to the conclusions about things? Have you ever got to the point where you're just out there and you're thinking it's this and, and, and man, they, you know they're thinking that and you, you build this whole case up only to find out they're not even thinking about you and you thought <laughs> your perspective was totally off. You thought someone had something against you and maybe you went to that person and said, I just feel like there's something off here. Is there, am I reading this? No, I don't think there's a problem here. It's so easy for us to get sideways. It's so easy for us to lose focus on the right perspective. Now, I want you to think about this. Let's kind of change gears with this thought. Here's a question that many of us ask. What is God's will for my life? How many of you would, would think a question like that would be something that is just, man, that, it, it, it's almost honorable to even ask the question. How many of you have ever thought of that? Really, I mean, you think about it. What, what's God's will for my life? Okay, did you know that can even be self-centered? Did you know that? God specifically, what's, what's your will for my life? It can, it can be self-centered. I want you to think about it. The right question really is, what is God's will, period? What, God, what is your will? And it's not a matter of him joining us with our will. It's us joining him with his will. Well, what is your will? Now, here, here's the way it needs to be phrased. What is God's will and how can I best use my life to serve that will of God? That's really the terminology we find in scripture. That's really the perspective we're called to find in scripture. And so when we think about it, how will my life best serve his will, his wishes, his desires? Each day needs to begin with this question. Here's what I think needs to happen with all of us. What is God's will and how can I use my life to serve him today? What is it that I can do to serve him? For some of us, you know what we have to begin with? Some of us need to confess and repent about some things that are in our life that don't need to be there. Yeah. And so for us to firmly get our minds around God's will, what he has in store, and how we can best serve him through our lives, sometimes it begins with confession and repentance. How about this? How can I be the most effective witness today? How can I be light? God's commanded us to be light to this world. How can I be light today? How can I glorify him? You know, many of us, we, th we hear words like glorified and, and we kind of just write it off and we kind of go away. Okay, my, I'm here to glorify God. And we really, I mean, let's face it. We've known this terminology all our lives and, and, and it's, it's almost like we don't really hear it. Do you know what it really means to glorify God? Some people have said it this way, which I think is so, I think this is accurate. It means making him large and making him famous. Now, let me ask you this. Is God already large and famous? Yeah, he already is. But how many of us are doing, are making him large and making him famous through our lives? How many of us are, are demonstrating that to the world? That's his desire for us, to make him known. That is his perspective and desire for your life. I wanna look at something a little differently. Let's change gears a little bit. And it's this idea, again, why pray? Why pray? And, and here's where many of you may be, some of you deep thinkers out there, sometimes have you ever noticed that your deep thinking 
carries you in places you really don't have any business going. I mean, have you, have you ever been there before? And some of this may borderline some of that. But listen to this. Why pray if God is sovereign? Why pray if, if God is in control of everything and, and, and this and that? Why even pray? How many of you have at least thought of that one time in your life? Raise your hand. Yeah, some of you. And, and some of you I consider scholars and gentlemen and ladies. That, no, I'm just kidding. But, but, but anyway, why pray? Well, look on your outline. We have this idea of our free will and his sovereignty. Our free will and his sovereignty. Now, let me just say this about his sovereignty. I believe his sovereignty, sovereignty is, is, is an umbrella over everything. But there is a place where he allows us to have our free will. I want you to think about that. Now, this is deep. This is something that, that uh, we're not going to have the full answers to when we leave here today. But I want us to look at these two things. So what is free will? Free will is nothing more than the ability that God gives us to choose. The first choice man ever had was in the garden. You remember? The, the tree in the middle of the garden. The one that was there uh, and Eve partook and Adam partook and all of a sudden there was the choice. That was the choice for them. Are you going to choose God's way or are you going to choose your own way? And they chose their own way. Free will allowed that. Okay. But then there's this whole idea of sovereignty. What is that? It's a the theological term to describe the unlimited power of God who has sovereign control over the affairs of nature, history, and his redemptive plan. Now, here's what we need to know about this. God is a sovereign God, but he still commands us to pray. He still wants us to come to him. He still wants us to lay our desires and wishes and our hearts before him. He wants that. He seeks that from us. But some of us are like, why bother? Why bother? Now, here's why it's important. Look on your outline. Why pray if God is sovereign? His will of decree versus, I should have said and. I, I kind of wish I'd have put and there. And his will of desire. Because I don't think that they're opposing one another necessarily. Sometimes they fall right in line with one another. So here's, here's really what it comes down to. His sovereignty, we know he's, in, he's unlimited power. He could do whatever he wants to. He, he could, uh, how many of you like to watch Discovery Channel and, and these ideas that one day they're, they're saying the sun is eventually going to blow up. How many of you that just encourages you and just, you know, it's like, well, hallelujah. You know, it's like to God be the glory. The sun could blow up, you know. <laughs> I mean, we sit there and we, we, we imagine all these things. And of course, scientists are looking through a, a natural means of looking at things. And when it gets to this tipping point, then it's all over with and everything. But who holds all that? It's God. It's God who determines that. And I'm going to prove that to you in just a moment. So there is the sense in which God has determined some things in advance. These things will be accomplished and nothing can hinder it, stop it, or sidetrack it. There's some things that are going to happen. Now, God's will of decree can be seen in creation. Let me, let me tell you how it sounds. 
When God says, let there be blank, and it was, and it was good, that is a will of decree from God. He's basically announcing it. He's saying this is the way it's going to be. We see this whole idea also in the order that is maintained in the universe. We see it in God's dealings with sin and the enemy. We see it in the matter of salvation. There's certain things that he puts out there. There's a redemptive plan. How many of you are glad for that? There's a redemptive plan that he puts out there that he says, nothing's gonna sidetrack it. Nothing's gonna mess it up. It's going to happen the way I say it's gonna happen. Okay? All those things are already laid out. The word of God is clear when it talks about God's definite will be in a reality. So look at the word there on your outline. The Greek word, uh, uh, thalo. This word refers to a decree or a design and it speaks of the eternal counsels and purposes of God, which cannot be changed. When you see this word in the Greek there, you'll see, and this is what you gotta think, this, it can't be changed. Now, how many of you read your New Testament in the Greek? Raise your hand. Okay, Patty, way to go. I mean, there's somebody, yeah. Uh, so, so anybody really read it in the Greek? I mean, I can read one book. No, I'm just kidding. No, but when you think about it, when you look at it, there's your determination. There's two different words for his will. And the one of them is the decreed will. It's going to happen no matter what. That's what we're talking about. It's used more than 200 times just in the New Testament. Okay, let me give you an example. Turn to Colossians chapter one, if you haven't already turned there. Colossians chapter one. I'm gonna to read to you verse 13 and following. This right here tells you about the decreed will of God. Okay, here it is. God, excuse me, Jesus was delivered, delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of, of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sin. Now, here's what this is saying. His decreed will, God's decreed will was that there would be a redemptive plan for us, okay? That we could come to a point of salvation and come into a relationship with God. That's what that means. Nothing was gonna hinder that plan, but it goes further. He is the image of the invisible God. This is Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. That means his preeminence. For by him, for by Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Y'all, that is the perfect description of the decreed will of God. Nothing could touch that. It was going to happen. It says in verse 17, and he was before all things and in him all things consist. He's holding it all together. He'll determine when the sun explodes. <laughs> it's all in his will. Verse 18, he's also the head of the body, which is the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in all things he may have preeminence. That is going to, ha that happens. Verse 19, for it pleased the father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. That is a perfect passage of God's decreed will. Nothing is going to hinder that, okay? Now, 
Spurgeon says it this way. Look here on the screen. We believe that there is nothing above, beneath, around, which is not according to the determinations, determination of God's will and counsel. And while we are not fatalists, now what he's saying there, he, he, what he's saying is, it's not that we we're left to, we're at his mercy, in some ways we are, but he's leaving a little room to say that we do have a free will. There's something that we can do in this mix, okay? He's saying that. We do, we do most truly and sternly hold that God has decreed over things whatsoever that comes to pass for his own glory and good. Now, that's pretty deep when you think about it, okay? So what, what, are, we, what are we looking at? We're looking at God's decreed will. How many of you see it at play today? We see it at play today. These things will happen. They will happen. <laughs> you can count on it, okay? Here's something that we need to be glad is a part of his decreed will. Look at this verse. And we know, it's basically saying this is the will of God, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's also a part of his decreed will. That everything that touches your life has great potential to do great things, no matter how bad it may be. Perfect story, Joseph of the Old Testament. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about how special Joseph was of the Old Testament. You know, for those who need the reminder, he's a guy who had the beautiful coat of many colors. You remember that guy when you were kids, you read about his story? Okay, let me tell you why his story is so great. Did you know in the book of Genesis, there are 50 chapters? Did you know 25% of the book of Genesis is dedicated to his story? That tells you how special this guy really is. There's only one passage or one phrase used in scripture to describe the whole universe. And yet 25% of the book of Genesis is dedicated to this guy. Why? Because of this. Here's what I believe. It's because his life demonstrates the providential and sovereign care of God and how he moves in a person's life. And we look at the life of Joseph. He begins his life with, as his father's favorite. You remember that? That's what gets him in trouble, isn't it? He's got other brothers that don't appreciate that he's daddy's boy, okay? And, and, and all of a sudden they sell him out for slavery. And then he leaves there. He leaves his home. He goes to Egypt. He's there. He, he, things are starting to look up. And all of a sudden he's in prison for years, falsely accused. And then all of a sudden he comes out and becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt. You say, you're leaving a lot of story out. I know, I don't have time. There's many chapters given. Read it yourself, okay? Don't be lazy, okay? But anyway. <laughs> but what we find, what we find here is in the end, when you begin to read about Joseph in the end, here's what you'll find. His brothers are there and they find out it's really their brother who they sold into slavery. They're terrified. And you know what he does? He looks at him and he said, don't be sad. Don't, 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 don't be sad. God used this in a way far greater than any of us could have ever imagined. And I'm not going to do anything to you because you know something? I've come to the awareness that God is in control. God is in control. God used you in your evil. God used it and look at what happened. Now, why did God do it the way he did it? Because God is about the redemptive plan. The redemptive plan would come through those people, the Jews, 
And because of the, the way it played out, the, all of a sudden this, this mighty group of people became a great nation, even in their slavery, but they were protected by the superpower of Egypt. And all of a sudden there was all these things, there's so many moving pieces and, and through it all, we're sitting there and we see the sovereign hand of God, not only on this man's life, but the people called the Jews. And it was gonna play out the way God said. And you know what? Joseph recognized it. He looked at it and he said, this is of God. The only way he was able to look at it that way was because of his intimacy with God. I'm here to and convinced that I know that for a fact because there's no way he could have seen it. You know how we would have responded? God, I've done everything I know to do. What in the world are you up to? I mean, I don't like this one bit. And, and many of us die going in that direction. But he woke up and said, you know something? God's done something amazing here. You're, you cannot believe what he's up to. That was all God's plan. That's his decreed will. And the only way he knew, only way Joseph knew, I mean, think about it. So many things were out of his control. God was directing it at every hand. Did it mean everything came perfect? No, he was imprisoned. He was sold in slavery. He was removed from his homeland. The most terrible thing that could ever happen to a person, he experienced many of those things. And all of a sudden, we see it's God's will all along and something beautiful came of it. But now let's look at something. Let's flip this. His will of decree versus his will of desire. Now, God's will of desire is this. That which God desires, which may not come to pass, due to free will. There's something that God desires that may not come to pass. How many of you are like, is that even possible? It is. And the only reason it is possible is because he grants it to us and it's called free will. How, how do you know that? Well, let's look at, let's go a little bit further. Look at the Greek word there. It's boloamaya. Uh, well, anyway, I don't know how to pronounce that, but anyway, it's that word. This word means a fond wish or desire. It carries the idea of a passive wish. It's something that's desired, but not necessarily guaranteed, okay? What God would desire to see happen that may not come to pass. Seven times you find this word in the New Testament, seven times. Now, turn to 2 Peter chapter three, 2 Peter chapter three. This is one of those times. Go ahead and turn there. Listen to me as you turn. So, when you think about it, there's a sense in which God's purposes will be done and cannot be changed. And there's a sense in which God's desires are not always accomplished because of the fact he granted us free will. He's given us a, a, the ability to choose, okay? How does that look? Well, 2 Peter chapter three, look at verse eight. He says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. What this verse is saying is basically his ways and the way he sees times and his perspectives are not necessarily the way we see. It's not necessarily our perspective, okay? Let, let me give you one thing. Even the song we just sang, Reckless Love, I can't tell you how many times we sing this and people send me emails saying, we're singing something that's not biblically correct, you know, and, and I'm sitting there, okay. Sometimes I, I just cut and paste <laughs> what I've responded to others with the same thing. And, and I do, I hear that a lot. And I can get what you're talking about. But really that whole song is based on perspective, okay? We know God's not reckless. 
It's not in his character to be reckless from the perspective of heaven. But boy, from the perspective of earth, it sure appears like he's reckless. He's leaving the 99 and going after one single sheep out there. Does that not appear to be reckless? It appears to be, but does it necessarily mean he is? No, it doesn't necessarily mean he is, but it sure appears to be. Now, you say, well, how can you prove that in Scripture? Turn, if you ever look at the Psalms and read what David writes many times, he's writing about how he perceives God, okay? How he perceives God that's not necessarily in the character of God. It's how he perceives God, okay? And, and we find those things in Scripture at times. And so it, it kind of goes back. So we've got to be careful when it comes to our perceptions. And I think that's what he's saying here in verse eight, verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, his promise of redemption. He's basically saying it's out there, okay? As some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us. He's patient with us. And here it is. Not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, this is his desire. This is his wish. But is it going to happen that way? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. But then we come back to verse 10. So there we have a basically a, a, uh, his will of desire. Now we go into verse 10 and we see his will of decree. Here it is. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Verse 10 is it's going to happen. No one can change the fact that it's going to happen that way. Okay. Some of you are like, that verse terrifies me. Tell me what it means. I don't have time right now, okay? But I'm here to tell you that verse nine is what God wishes. It's the decree of, of his desire. And then right after it, we have something that will happen. So what does that have to do with anything? Here it is right here. When we pray, listen, when we pray, we're praying to a sovereign God. We're praying to a God that providentially cares for us. But guess what? When we pray, there's still, there's still room in there to pray his desires, which may not come. You, you see what I mean? How many of you are praying for someone who doesn't know the Lord right now? You're praying for them that they'll come to know the Lord. Bless your heart. Some of you, it's your own children, your grandchildren, your heart goes out and you're just praying. Guess what? You're praying in the will of God. That's his desire too. How do I know? I just read to you 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He's wishing the same thing. And there's the same thing coming. So guess what? We are praying in the desires of God. And we're joining him. And guess what? Here's what happens. I don't know about you, but every time I find myself praying for something, he causes me to act on my prayer. How many of you have noticed that? It's, it's, it's the reason... <laughs> You say you trick him. It's the reason some of your pastors will come to you and ask you to do something. And before we leave you, here's what we'll say many times. Will we at least pray about it? You know why we ask you to do that? Because many times when you pray about something, you become, you become involved. <laughs> you, you, you'll wind up doing a lot of what you're praying about. And that's the same way when we're praying for lost people. I can't tell you how many times when, when you set your mind to pray for someone lost, I'm convinced you'll be called to action. He'll want you to have a part in that. He'll bring your heart in such a way that your desire will be his desire. And that's just one example. So let's move. How do we pray? I'm convinced now, you've told me we gotta pray. <laughs> no, we get to pray. 
And, and now where do we go from here? What, what, what does that even look like? How do I pray? Well, I've given you this many times. I'm gonna quickly go through it. I believe all prayers should start with adoration. Adoration. You say, what does adoration look like? Most of the Psalms. Read the Psalms, especially ones near the end, okay? Richard Foster in his book on prayer said this, prayer is the human response to the perpetual outpouring of love by which God lays siege to every soul. Our response to God's love is our adoration. Adoration is a spontaneous yearning of the, of the one's heart to worship, honor, magnify, and bless God. What does it sound like in the Psalms? Well, Psalms uh, chapter nine. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O most high God. You see, to me, if you're gonna say, okay, how do I begin my prayer? I believe you begin with adoration. Just telling God just how glorious he really is. Some of you may be sitting there saying, does God really need to hear that? Does he, does he have to hear? No, that's for us. That's for us. We, we're acknowledging who we're talking to. You, you see what I mean? That's adoration. How about this? Let's go a step further. Adoration sets the tone for the entire prayer. Adoration, basically, when we acknowledge him for who, who he is, you know what normally happens in my life when that happens? I get out of the way. I, you get so consumed with who he is you don't matter a whole lot after that. <laughs> you, you begin to want what he desires. Uh, next, adoration reminds us of God's identity and desires. It reminds us that he's faithful, he's righteous, he's just, he's merciful. Adoration purifies us as we pray. How does, it, how, how does that happen? Well, all of a sudden we see him as he truly is. And I don't know about you, but how many of you have ever felt pretty dirty in God's face? And you're looking at yourself and you're like, wow. Not worthy. And the only thing you can say at that point is, I'm not worthy, but he made me worthy. He gave me his righteousness. And the parts that need to be corrected, listen, because I see him as he is and he commands me to be like him, he commands me to be holy, I gotta deal with this, the repentance and the confession. I want to come before him as holy as he is. I want to identify with him. And that's what you're doing with adoration. Next, how do we pray adoration and then confession? Probably the most neglected part of prayer today. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Think of this. Confession should be, number one, spontaneous. You ever prayed before? And all of a sudden something pops in your mind? Needs to be dealt with? That ever happened? What do you do? Well, God, let me, you need to hear my side on this. No, spontaneous means, God, you, you just called me out. You're right. I, I shouldn't have had that attitude. That attitude stunk. I don't care what they did to me. You're right. I'm supposed to act like you, you would have acted in that situation. It should be also specific. How many of you remember when you were a kid? And dear Lord, help everybody in the world and forgive me of all my sins. <laughs> did you know that Confession only works in specifics. Did you know that? Why would it only work that way? So you can keep things in check. You know what doesn't measure up. You know what needs to be corrected. God's all about that. And then lastly, it needs to be sincere. 
it, it, it seems like there's more times in scripture where it says that we are to come before God how? In a humble spirit. We come to him humble, submissive. Benefits of confessions. Number one, conscience cleared. Everybody like a clear conscience? I like to compare it to a freshness after a bath. You know, just feels right. You know, just feel clean. Forgiveness given. You can pray freely. How do we pray? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving. This is just as important as any. First Corinthians, excuse me, First Thessalonians 5. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if you're sitting around saying, okay, I don't know what God's will is for my life, start here. Be grateful for these things. Do you think, do you think Joseph sitting in prison said, God, I, I don't know if you forgot me here, but I've been here some years now. Um, you said for me to be grateful. I, it's hard, but... Thank you for these walls. Thank you for these bars. Thank you for this prayer. <laughs> I mean, you think about how hard that is. But he's given us this. Now, four blessings to thank God for. Answered prayer. Some of you journal and you remember asking. Some of you, it's really cool. I've heard some of you talking about it. You go back and you put a date when God answers the prayer. Spiritual blessings come when we begin to thank God. So relational blessings Material blessings can come through thanksgiving. Lastly, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. This is just simply request. Philippians 4, 6, and everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Here, here's the reason he's saying, he, he's not saying come with your wish list necessarily, even though he is. But, they, but what he wants to do is take your wish list and there'll be times where you'll hit it just right and it'll be his will also. So you're praying in his will. But how many of you brought things to God where he changed your perspective totally? And then later you were like, thank you for changing my perspective because I would have been led astray. He sees the big picture, supplication. And then here's the application this morning. Prayer and God's word are gifts from God that lead us to his presence, power, and perspective, and eventually his best for us. You see, God has a, the big picture. He, he sees your beginning, he sees your end. He saw it all. Joseph of the Old Testament, he knew exactly what he desired to do through this man's life. And, and it was amazing to see all the things he went through, and it was not perfected, it was not comfortable, it was difficult. But God's plan came through. Where are you today? Have you identified what you think's best? Some of you are like, you know, if I just, if we had a house with this many square feet, if we had a car that's just certain, I mean, we go into all these different things. We think these things, what is, what is it as it relates to God for you? That will always be the best. Ushers, would you come forward? Father, we just come to you right now and we just, again, thank you for who you are. And we thank you that, Lord, that we can come to you in adoration. And, Father, I think so many times we, we never slow down enough to, to, to get the perspective of the one who created us, to get the perspective of the one who saved us, to get the perspective from the one that sees it all from beginning to end. Father, I thank you for your decreed will that there are certain things that will happen. 
everything from there will be a day when you return to, to the fact, Lord, that you're going to work all things good. To, uh, you're going to work out all those things to our good, that those of us who love you. And Father, it's going to be a beautiful picture when it's all said and done. Father, we thank you for those things. But Father, we also thank you for the fact that we get, the, we have the ability to choose. There are certain things that you've allowed us to have and you've given us that freedom. And thank you, Lord, that many in this room have chosen to follow you. And Father, for those who have not, help them to understand that it is your will that they do for their own good, not only for eternity, but for this life even right now. Father, we thank you for it. Pray that you'll use this offering to help us continue to make you known, to make you famous in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. moment you got to see what what that's going to be all about so grab a flyer back there you're welcome to uh, grab a stack of these pass those out uh, so you're aware of, of that ministry and then also uh, this uh, well next Tuesday the uh, the 18th we'll be having an opportunity to come together with our SWAT ministry uh, that's uh, coming up see Jim Barr if you have any questions or detail or need details regarding that and then of course uh, uh, Christian and the student ministry and the Unite Conference coming up on the 6th and the 7th. All that information is on the church website, okay? So uh, go to the church website and learn more about the Unite Conference. And then today, uh, the Clubhouse Camp look up at Lookup Lodge, that's today the registration opens for that. And if you have a child or a grandchild that wants to be a part of that, uh, you, you might want to go ahead and get that registration in uh, real soon. But that's August 11th through the 14th, and that, again, is all on the website. You can find out details uh, on the website. Hey, thanks for choosing to be here this morning. We're dismissed.
Speaking truth when I can't find Light of this broken heart Light my way Until my time on earth is done Oh, Holy Spirit Within me
right. Good morning. If you would stand, let's sing together. Just one word, you calm the storm that surrounds me. Just one word, the darkness has to retreat. Just one touch, I feel the presence of heaven. Just one touch. My eyes were open to see, my heart can't help but believe. There's nothing that our God can't do. It's not a mountain that he can't move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. Just one word. You hear the broken inside me. Just one word, and you revive every dream. Just one touch, I feel the power of heaven. Just one touch. My eyes were open to see, my heart can't help but believe. There's nothing that our God can't do. It's not a mountain that he can't move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's nothing that our God can't do. Not a prison wall he can't break through. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. Sing this together. I will believe. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like his power. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a mountain that he can move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. Oh, there's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a prison wall he can't break through. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. 
There's nothing that our God can do. Welcome to Pleasant City Church. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. I want to welcome you. We are really excited this morning. If, if you're new with us and you're looking around, you're like, wow, these people are really happy and excited. It's because Jesus is here. Like The Lord is in this place. And we get a little excited about things when we get to come together and worship together. So it's all right. We're not that weird and crazy. We just get excited when, when the Lord is working. We believe the Lord's working in our lives and in this place. So... Also, if you are new, we'd love for you to fill out the Connect card on the back of the handout that you got when you walked in the door. If you fill that information out and take it to the iDesk at the end of the gathering, we have a little gift for you. Um, and we'd also like to see how we can get you more connected into what we're doing and, and what God is doing in this place. Uh, one of the things that's going on, I'd love to tell you more about it. But first, check out this video. The table is where life happens. It's where imagination runs wild. Where lessons are learned. And wonders are built. The table is where time can stop. Where wounds are comforted. And freedom begins. It's where we find peace. And we laugh till it hurts. The table is where we gather with family, new and old, to share stories to nourish our bodies, to enrich our souls. The table is where we give thanks and where we remember what great gifts we have been given. Good morning. If you don't know, I am John Oriente. This is my beautiful wife, Ginger Oriente, and we are the directors of All In Marriage, which is the lay-led, mentor-based marriage ministry of Pleasant City Church. About 10 years ago, we approached Pastor Brian, and we just had a burden for marriages in our church, and he bore witness with that and said, we have to have some additional intentionality. You know, great churches are made up of great families, and great families are made up of great marriages. And a focal point of our marriage ministry is to set aside one weekend a year to really focus on marriage. And so this is our seventh annual Pleasant City Church Marriage Conference in two weeks. 
Um, I'm not going to take a lot of time with the details. You can go to PleasantCityChurch.com to register and to find the details. It's $35 for the whole weekend, including child care. And one thing I want to add to real quick is um, this is also for engaged couples. So um, check that out. Wow. Interesting, Jim, because Bev just texted me and said, if you see Jim this morning, please tell him I just signed up for the marriage conference online. <laughs> Someone has to teach these wiffle snapples something about marriage? I think that auto-corrected, and it means whippersnappers. Oh, whippersnapper. <laughs> we, we still use that word. Yes, 52 years married. Do you have something to teach the younger people about marriage? Yes, you do. And if you're a SWAT member, if you've been married 20, 30, 40, 50 years, would you please come to the table and help some of us that have not been on that journey as long and teach us a little bit about how to do it? I do know your husband, please. <laughs> yes, please bring, bring Gary. <laughs> Actually, all the pastors will be at the marriage conference, and I encourage deacons, leaders, look, the enemy is after our marriages. If he can take out a marriage, he can take a whole family out, and we just encourage anybody, if you serve here on a very regular basis, take this weekend away for your marriage and, and just do something good for your marriage. I'm in the twilight zone. Is this the twilight zone? <laughs> yeah, Courtney, there's a lot of younger families, and they'll take about 20, 25 years to just work on their children. And unfortunately, the highest divorce rate amongst Christian couples is after the kids at the empty nester. And so I would encourage you, it's hard to have young young children, um, we have people doing date nights that bring their children with them. And we just have to tell them, date night with the children is family night. That's not date night. <laughs> I'm going to say nothing bad about your husband because I don't want him to beat me with that little baby guitar. But <laughs> we would love to have you at the table. <laughs> All, all jokes aside, we're really excited for this conference. Uh, go ahead and sign up. Now, maybe wait till like after worship or something like that, but go ahead. You can sign up online with your phone. Uh, just go to pleasantcitychurch.com slash events. Uh, but let's stand, let's continue to worship and go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you so much for an opportunity to come and work on our marriages. God, we know that when a husband and wife get on the same page and are really putting you first in their lives and in their family, God, that big things happen. God, so that we ask a blessing on this conference. We ask that you open hearts and minds to all the, the couples coming into this conference. And God, we ask that you bless the rest of our gathering here today as we come to you and worship and in study your word. We ask all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.